Rachel Hampton. And I'm Candace Lim, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And I gotta say, Fall TV, you're going off, okay? Golden Bachelor, whole team here, still going strong. F-Boy Island, new season coming up. The Crown, I love The Crown. It's coming back later this year. Rachel, though, anything you're excited for? People who listen to this podcast for a long time know that I am a real housewives of Potomac girly. I am mm. very excited for the return of that season. Um, mm-hmm. Also, this isn't technically fall television. It's kind of like fall, winter, spring slate. But allegedly, Interview with the Vampire season two <gasps> is slated to release in early to mid-2024. AMC reached an agreement with SAG-AFTRA that is separate from what's happening with the strike. So they are back on. So I am so excited. I love One of the best shows. It's so good. I also, this is not new, but I started watching Moonlighting this (gasps) week and they do not make television like that anymore. They just don't make television like that anymore. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, I'm really glad you're watching Moonlighting because guess what? I am also watching Moonlighting. Um, Yeah. It's so good. It's very weird. Can I say that? Mm-hmm. It's very weird, but it's so good. And I got to say this. I never knew that Bruce Willis was that hot. Okay. I watched that first episode and I literally texted my group chat. Bruce Willis was so pretty. My God. Yeah, he was smanging. I <laughs> get it. I get it. <laughs> Not smanging. <laughs> anyway. We're both moonlighting Hive, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. One of us is Bruce, the other one is Sybil. We'll find out who later. Ooh. But I think it is time to talk about a bigger thing that happened this week. Yes, Will and Jada Pinkett Smith. So this week, Jada Pinkett Smith, she went on NBC to do an interview with Hoda Kotb. And in that interview, she reveals that her and Will Smith have been separated since 2016. So that is before the slap. That is before Red Table Talk. That is before the entanglement era. And this interview happened because Jada is releasing a memoir this month called Worthy, I will say, as a media insider. Mm -hmm. I've heard from people who have advanced reading copies that the book actually isn't that juicy if you've been keeping up. But it does talk about her relationship with Will Smith. And there's another little interesting tidbit in her book. Jada claims that Chris Rock, a.k.a. receiver of (laughs) said slap, asked her out on a date before the slap happened. Oh my God. Wait, what? When? When? When did this happen? Okay, so there apparently was one summer where a lot of Will and Jada divorce rumors were swirling, which is basically every summer. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's be honest. And Chris read the tabloids. He was keeping up. He called Jada and was like, hey, I heard you're single now. You want to go out? Jada is like, we're not divorcing. (sighs) And apparently Chris apologized for assuming the rumors were true and shooting his shot. But I will say after hearing about this, I just feel like it adds so much context to the slap. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's wild because that moment when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the 2022 Oscars, like I think of that moment so differently now because Mm -hmm. knowing that Chris Rock asked her out when they were talking about separating, knowing that Jada and Will were, quote, living separate lives when the slap happens. Like, Mm -hmm. I understand why Jada and Will have kind of hidden this from the public for like the last seven years because people clearly are talking about it. And this Mm. is a couple that I think gets a lot of scrutiny for what they put out there. But 
what is your takeaway from this Jada and Will revelation? Are we are we in this like Prince Harry spare press cycle 2.0 situation? Kind of, except I don't know. I mean, I I feel like I'm not the right person to ask because my threshold for Jada and Will content is actually quite high. Mm. Um, I have written about this for Slate before a lot of people of my age bracket, they were kind of like the aunt and uncle of Black Hollywood. Like you look at their family and you're just like Jada, Will, Jaden, Willow, incredible family, so hot, so beautiful, so talented, every single one of them. So I always want to know more about them. Can't say the same thing about Prince Harry. Cannot say the same thing about my beige queen, <laughs> Meghan Markle, either. So I just want more revelations to keep coming out. I want Jay to take herself to the red table once again, maybe every single week for this press cycle. Give me more. Oh, yeah. And I will say, I think this made me realize that Will and Jada have like a much stronger hold on culture than I thought. You know, like Mm -hmm. the slap is the number one craziest moment that's ever happened at the Oscars. They beat out Moonlight versus La La Land. Mm -hmm. On top of that, 2020, entanglement was the word of the year. Jada, she brought herself, okay, to Red Table Talk. Joe Biden, I'd like to see you do that. (laughs) But... I also kind of realized that Will is technically maybe an A-list actor. Not even technically. Not even technically. He, he is. is. 100%. Right? Or at least he was before the slap. Oh, yeah. I mean, lest we forget, the night of Z slap is the night he won an Oscar. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I have no idea what this book will do to their careers or public goodwill. But I do think a lot of people have been bringing up one word in particular, which is oversharing. Oh, Yes. I have definitely seen people tweeting underneath the pop crave headline, these phrases that have become just so normal on the internet. Like, we should all know less about each other. And everything I know about Will and Jada's marriage, I know against my will, which I do think is hilarious. I do find that funny. I do know they're inescapable. I feel like everyone has their person who they wish to know nothing about and yet information about them is shoved down their throat. For me, that's Taylor Swift. For other people, that's Will and Jada. So I understand. Again, personally, I'm eating it up. I want more. Give it to me. (laughs) Let me, what is Will going to say? What's his response to all of this? He hasn't released a statement about the fact that they've been separated for seven years. Are they legally still married? I want to know the exact details of the arrangement that they have with each other. A hundred percent. I want to see the word document, you know? I want to (laughs) see. Yeah. And I think there is some merit to the like, maybe celebrities need to talk less argument. But I also think oversharing is not limited to celebrity culture because look, we all know someone, okay, who went a little too deep, too dark on Maine when they got Mm -hmm. broken up with, okay? We all know someone who's been listening to Mitski a little too much on Spotify Friends. I see you, Paul Meskel. And <laughs> we all know someone who, unfortunately, is a LinkedIn lunatic. Pour one out for the people who use LinkedIn because I'm not one of them. There you go. I get those little emails in my inbox that's just like, here are some jobs that are popular in your network. Your friend just started a new job. And I delete the email and I go about my day. Yeah. And here's the thing. I absolutely remember LinkedIn as this like serious professional place where my friends and I were applying to jobs and internships, especially in college. But now I think it's become this like very unhinged social media platform that literally no one has the rules for, a.k.a. it is the new Facebook. And today we're going to be taking a walk through the wacky Wild West 
of LinkedIn. I'm talking about people breastfeeding on LinkedIn, which do what you want. No shame here. People mourning their recently passed grandmother on LinkedIn. People sleeping in their car in order to get promoted on LinkedIn. And we're going to take a quick short break. But when we come back, we'll dive into LinkedIn's past, present and near dystopian future. Hey there. If you love our podcast, then maybe you should consider subscribing to Slate Plus. With Slate Plus, there are no ads on any Slate podcasts. And Slate Plus helps keep this podcast going because this show would not be possible without your support. With Slate Plus, you'll get bonus segments and episodes for shows like Slow Burn, Hit Parade, and The Waves. You'll also never hit a paywall on the Slate website, meaning you get access to every article and every advice column. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That's slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And we're back. So our friends over at What Next TBD recently did an episode about LinkedIn called, Is LinkedIn Cool Now? They did a call out for that episode where people could send in voicemails with their thoughts on LinkedIn. And producer Evan Campbell was very gracious and he shared with us and y'all a leftover voicemail that didn't make it into the episode. I think we should play it. I used to work on a business show. I used to work on a business podcast. And the listeners of that podcast were usually the people who would go on LinkedIn and post things like, I ran by a homeless person today who was crying into their own hands, and I asked him, what's going on, man? He told me his story of drugs, and then I said, cheer up, mate, and I gave him a bagel. He's now the VP of Wells Fargo. Guess what? That was me. And I was just like, no. Wait. Wait, that voice sounds really familiar. Um, yeah, so I'm going to take myself to the Red Table Talk right now because that voicemail was left by me, Candace. We <laughs> are here at the Red Table with Candace to talk about this voicemail that I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed with everything about it. I'm obsessed with the way that it cuts off at the end of it. It's three minutes. We haven't played all of it yet, but I just love I love it. Candace, A-plus work. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, and if I may give like an opening statement. Yes, you may. Evan, shouts out to you. Evan was asking around for people's thoughts on LinkedIn, and I didn't actually think I had much to say about it, but then I was like, hey, you're a colleague. I'll do this favor for you. Got it. So I send in this voicemail, and (laughs) I'm going to be very honest. I'm aware I sound unhinged, but prepare to get more obsessed, Rachel, because no, 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 no. I did not send in one voicemail. I sent in two. Let's play it. Hi, Evan. It's Candace again. (laughs) Um, okay, let me try and retake a little bit of what I said last time. Um, I was talking about how all these people are corny bitches. Um, LinkedIn makes me feel bad about myself because I go on there and just compare myself to people I will never, ever, ever, I will never, ever succeed with because I really think a lot of people are making up their LinkedIn posts. I really, really do. The hey, it's Candace again. <laughs> I, Candace, I just, I have so many thoughts about this. The first one is thank you for giving this to the world. The second is I have a lot of questions about your feelings about LinkedIn because you have a lot, which was unexpected for me, but not unwelcome. Importantly, I listened to these voicemails multiple times so I could come to you prepared with the preguntas importantes, you know? Mm. 
Later on in the show, we're going to dissect your voicemail. I'm dead serious, like (laughs) point by point, second by second, because there's some really interesting points in there. But before I grill you about your kind of 95 theses of LinkedIn, I feel like we kind of need to describe how LinkedIn went from a website that was basically a kind of digital resume to what our sister podcast, What Next TBD, describes as the next Facebook Yes, and while we wait for me to go on trial, I have to say, I was definitely curious about how LinkedIn even got to this place because I just remember using LinkedIn in 2015 and it -hmm. was just so boring. Like LinkedIn used to just be boring.com. You're so right. Let's start there. So the platform known as LinkedIn actually started in 2002, which I was very surprised to find out how long it's been around. But it was started by a man named Reed Hoffman, who was a Silicon Valley project manager person. Like he worked at Apple around 1994. And then he was the project manager for Worlds Away, which was this kind of virtual world simulation And Reed's watching the way people are living on the internet, and he kind of foreshadows that at some point we are all going to have specific spaces and specific identities online, meaning you're technically still the same person between Facebook and LinkedIn and TikTok, but you go to all those places for different things. They separate your social side from your professional side from your fun side. And by the way, this is 2002, so we are barely in the age of social networking because MySpace would not get founded until 2003. Facebook, not until 2004. So Reed is, you know, sitting at home or in his office. I don't know where he was sitting. I'm just making this up. I'm painting a scene. (laughs) But Reed comes up with this idea to link people up online. And he thinks, what's the kind of part of your life that you talk about with basically everyone? You talk about at a party. You talk about on the train. You talk about with your mother. Something that's interesting and something that is verifiable. Mm. And that's your job. Your job history. You can technically lie about that. And people do. And honestly, shout out to scammers. But (laughs) industries are usually very small worlds. And LinkedIn kind of proves how small they are because people can check and be like, yeah, we did intern together at IBM in 1997. And you know what? You had really bad time management issues. I'm not endorsing you for that. (laughs) Exactly. And so LinkedIn officially launches in 2003. And it's basically like a chum bucket for resumes. You know, to give some context, do you remember Career Builder? Monster. Those sites launched before LinkedIn. So LinkedIn was kind of unique in that, yes, it was a resume dumper, but it was also a place to purposely connect and follow and be a part of an industry specific community. I mean, their front page, it even had this like stock photo of a woman with the words, find the people you need through the people you trust. Wow. That's basically the tagline of Hinge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But LinkedIn launches in 2003, and it reaches 1 million users by the end of their first year, which is incredibly impressive. Indeed.com, they were founded in 2004. So LinkedIn has some competition, but in 2005, they start beefing up their kind of subscription service, LinkedIn Premium. And at this point, about two years after founding, LinkedIn is being used about 4 million times per month. And it's a lot of recruiters and consultants and analysts, basically people who are looking for job candidates. 
Mm-hmm. So LinkedIn Premium lets you not only search at people, but sort those people by industry. They launched their messaging feature. It's called InMail, where you can contact people directly. And you know how on LinkedIn, it'll tell you like how many degrees away you are from someone? Like, mm-hmm. for example, me and director of Wicked, John M. Chu, we are indeed separated by three degrees on LinkedIn. By the way, no brag. Okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And here's the thing. In mail would let you message someone even if they were like more than three degrees away from you. So this was probably helpful for those who wanted to like switch careers or industries and basically reach people outside of their follow bubble. It was also helpful if you wanted to reach John M. Chu. There you go. So now we fast forward to 2009 when LinkedIn is doing really, really well, especially the feature that kept me on LinkedIn, which is LinkedIn Jobs. Now, we should also probably add some context here in case you've forgotten or you're blocking it out, which fair. But the 2008 financial crisis was uh, really starting to show its effects in 2009. People were getting laid off. They needed jobs. Entire industries were crashing, like the housing market. Companies were declaring bankruptcy, like the Lehman Brothers. It wasn't even necessarily about just getting another job in your field. It was about full-on pivoting to another industry because yours doesn't even exist anymore. It sounds a little familiar, not gonna lie. Yeah, and that is probably why LinkedIn was like, one of the most popular social networking sites in 2009. For the next decade, LinkedIn is doing big things. They are adding more features. They're making the site more and more user-friendly. And it slowly starts to look like Facebook, because by 2017, they're having navigation tabs like home, message, job, notice, etc. And there's even a feed with trending stories, kind of like a Facebook timeline. Facebook has a lot of sons out here. Mm. Um, And maybe like Nick Cannon, it should stop. Anyway, (laughs) these trending stories were curated by human editors and an algorithm to show you the most important things you needed to know about the job market or the housing crisis or 10 ways to make your resume stand out. So we skipped to 2018 when Microsoft buys LinkedIn for $26 billion. I am sure Reed Hoffman did not expect that when he was sitting in his little garage. (laughs) Soon LinkedIn hits over 500 million users. And this is around the era when I remember using LinkedIn. I think we kind of both probably started checking LinkedIn regularly around this time. We were either in college or recent grads. And most of the posts I was seeing at this time was like the guy from my journalism class saying, I'm excited to announce my internship at NBC Universal. Or I'm thrilled to share that I'll be joining Bain Capital as a summer associate. Yeah, like, I remember feeling like LinkedIn was so necessary to my internship apps and early career reputation. Like, I literally ran a headshot photo day out of my school's career center that was specifically for LinkedIn photos. I just remember the general attitude being like, you need to drink the juice, you need to drink the Kool-Aid, and you need to have the perfect LinkedIn. Otherwise, you won't get the internship, you won't get the fellowship. Every recruiter will remember your name and they will slander you in the 50 web portals that I had to register for with my mother's maiden name as a security (sighs) question. And it was exhausting. It really was. We both graduated right before the pandemic. So LinkedIn was important at that point. I can only imagine how important LinkedIn became 
later because in the first year of COVID, people were basically graduating from Zoom University. There were no in-person internships. There were no welcome weeks. There were no job fairs. If you wanted to talk to a recruiter or do an informational interview, that was going to happen on Zoom, whether you liked it or not. And I wonder if around here is where LinkedIn started to shift from office culture to oversharing culture. Daniel Roth, who was a vice president and the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn, noted the change started happening around then as well. He told the New York Times, early in the pandemic, we started seeing content we hadn't really seen before. He said that he noticed people posting about mental health and burnout and stress. He said, quote, these were unusual posts for people where they were being more vulnerable on LinkedIn. Mm, And I want to take a look at that because, you know, in 2020, the New York Times, they basically put out this step-by-step guide on how to win the game of LinkedIn. And so they're giving you tips like update your profile regularly, be active on the platform, don't be shy about needing a new job. And I guess those are good tips. I didn't take them, but I want (laughs) to hone in on be active on the platform because this is something I categorically refuse to do. Even though in this New York Times piece, they talk about how having a stale profile is basically death unto itself. If you're maybe questioning why no one is reaching out or offering you job interviews, it's because you're just another resume on a giant pile of other resumes. And you haven't really told anyone like, what's your passion? Why are you a storyteller? What stories are you telling? Why are you such an overachiever? (laughs) So if you want to communicate to people that you're an overachiever, you needed to start liking other people's job announcements, even if you are jealous and hated them in econ- 101. You should Mm -hmm. share articles that you read and like and have something to do with your industry because other people will then like and comment on them. And lastly, and possibly the kiss of death for me personally, you should make content specific to LinkedIn. You need to write articles on LinkedIn about your experience graduating during the pandemic. You need to become an expert in something you're probably not qualified to write about, but could definitely post about in a very medium.com way. Mm -hmm. And I would say there was still some expectation of decorum on LinkedIn because, you know, as I was getting advice about privating my Instagram and Facebook in case recruiters were looking at them, I was also being told like, hey, maybe don't engage in like political debates on LinkedIn. Maybe don't write about how defying your office's religious practices got you fired because if a recruiter saw that, they might question your ability to be professional in an actual workplace and they just don't want to see that side of you. I will say that that kind of vibe is kind of changing, not least because, like we said before, personal posts on LinkedIn really started popping off in 2020, which was not only the beginning of the pandemic, when we started kind of looking at our society and thinking, shit's shit's kind of fucked up, no? Yeah, damn. But 2020 was also the same year of the George Floyd uprising, the same year that the racial reckoning began in a lot of industries, the same year that DEI and BIPOC became regular parts of our lexicon. Do I know how to pronounce BIPOC at this point? No. No. However, that change only kind of helped LinkedIn become this place where personal struggle is not only a part 
of your career, but it can be a kind of boon to your career in a way. Mm. And sometimes that can be profound. There's some posts on there that I'm sure did a good job of illustrating the way that racism operates in different industries. Like Mm -hmm. burnout is bad. We love that. However, sometimes it can be a little Looney Tunes (laughs) because there are now Instagram pages and Twitter accounts and subreddits just dedicated to posting unhinged and wild LinkedIn posts for all to see. There's this subreddit called LinkedIn Lunatics that was started in 2019. And here's how they describe their community. Scroll through LinkedIn and you will find a mix of rampant virtue signaling, cringe-worthy titles, and stories that could come from R that happened. This subreddit is for sharing and discussing these LinkedIn characters. There's an Instagram and Twitter account called Best of LinkedIn, and here's their bio. Highlighting the heroes and influencers brave enough to share their stories to inspire others. And these very active accounts just kind of show how rampant the LinkedIn posting economy has gotten. Therefore, Candace, I can't help but ask. Should we read some of these? Oh, hell yeah. Rachel, please go first. Okay. So this post was written by a man named Peter. And Peter has a secret. Peter writes, I have a secret. Most people are not even aware that this is a real thing. Since 2015, I have struggled with peeing in public restrooms. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Peter goes on about how he's done exposure therapy to address this because he's missed weddings and held his pee in for up to 10 hours, (laughs) which just (laughs) screams UTI to me. Oh, yeah. He then says, you need to expose yourself to your fears and go outside your comfort zone for success. And he obviously ends this post with the hashtag mindset is everything. Mm, mindset is everything i have another post (laughs) (laughs) this is from someone named alexander he writes i'm traveling for work this weekend and instead of staying at a fancy hotel i decided to sleep in my rental car even though the car wasn't the most spacious i managed to put the back seat down and get comfortable with the pillow and sheets that i packed in my carry-on and he did attach a photo of said setup and it's you know, a regular sedan with the back seat down and a, a makeshift bed. And then he continues. He says, although my company allows me to spend up to $250 per night on a hotel room, I wanted to save money because every dollar counts on the P&L. P&L stands for profits and loss. Alexander continues, it's the little things that get you promoted. Hashtag work. Hashtag money. Hashtag eco-friendly. Hashtag promotion, hashtag career advice. How is this eco-friendly? I was going to say that too, actually, because not to really get specific about wages, but, you know, I've stayed some really great nights in a Hilton Garden Inn for less than 250 and I would have rather had that than sleeping in said rented car. Just a thought, just a thought. Here is one last one, and I gotta warn you guys, this one's a bit NSFW, but unfortunately someone else has brought it to Maine. Okay, (laughs) it starts. I like to watch porn. Yeah, I admit it. And I'm sure many of you out there have seen your fair share. But why am I bringing this up? For two reasons. One, because no topic is off limits. And two, because it's important to be aware of indulgences in your life. 
There are some things that need to be done in moderation. For some, including myself, porn is one of them. Be very aware of the things that, if you do too much, cause more harm than good. Carry on. Uh, How is this professional? How is this in any way appropriate to put on a professional platform? Exactly. I don't get it. This is wild. And honestly, I think I need a break. I need a break to consider everything we just read. But when we come back, we're going to hear something maybe even more wild, perhaps even more unhinged. And that is pure undiluted Candace, because Candace, we're going to play and break down the voicemail you left for What Next TBD, and we're going to do a line reading for the ages. And when are we going to do this? After the break. And we're back. And I have something to admit. Oh, go for it. I can't stop thinking about those voicemails that you sent to What Next mm-hmm. TBD. Like, I actually think they should be played in the MoMA as performance <laughs> art. And I think we need to give them the space and time they deserve. Because we've delivered the context for your opinions. And now I think we're ready to hear your opinions. So we're going to devote the rest of the episode to a close reading of these voice memos. Oh, God. Are you ready? I don't know. Great. Hi, TVT. TBD. Hi, Evan. It's Candace. You don't need to include this intro in there. Okay. We've got a strong start already. I hate LinkedIn. I don't think it's cool. And I think it's for corny bitches. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Before we get into why, I need you to define your terms. When you say corny bitches, I there are many varieties. So what variety do you mean? Sure. Um, Corny, meaning cheesy, meaning Mm -hmm. you look like a fool, meaning you think you're (laughs) funny, but you're not. (laughs) Bitches, meaning I see it as gender neutral. Okay, so uh, really these bitches are mainly men who are being cheesy on LinkedIn. But when I really say bitches, I mean I hate you. Mm. Firstly... I have such an issue with people who use LinkedIn as a social media platform and who actively post on there. Why? Because all their posts are just savior complexes thrust into a professional environment that I never asked for. So, for example, let me just be very honest. I used to work on a business show. I used to work on a business podcast. And the listeners of that podcast were usually the people who would go on LinkedIn and post things like, I ran by a homeless person today who was crying into their own hands. And I asked him, what's going on, man? He told me his story of drugs. And then I said, cheer up, mate. And I gave him a bagel. He's now the VP of Wells Fargo. Guess what? That was me. And I was just like, no. Okay, I have to admit that I do feel like you working on a business podcast does perhaps contribute to your LinkedIn distaste because like I, I am, I'm mostly agnostic on LinkedIn. So, you know, with as much professionalism as you think is necessary, because we're not going to burn any bridges here. Please tell us about the listeners of that show or the listeners of that kind of show, hypothetically, allegedly. Basically, I worked for a podcast that interviewed entrepreneurs who have succeeded to the nth millionth dollar. So, for example, Mm. they did interview Reid Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, and they would also do like live events and conferences and all that. So 
the thing about this show is that a lot of the listeners were like up and coming entrepreneurs, people who had full time jobs that wanted to pursue a side hustle, people who not exactly billionaires, but would really love to be. And Mm -hmm. I just remember meeting these people in person at live Mm -hmm. events and these conferences. And I knew that their cologne was Hustle Grind by Calvin Klein because these people were always on. You know, I would go up to them. I'd be like, hey, we have some breakfast tacos. Would you like one? And they'd be like, um, hi, my name is and I'm the CEO of blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking for blah. And I'd be like, stop. I don't like this. Please stop posturing to me. I'm not going to invest in your laptop stand startup. My hugest issue with LinkedIn especially is that it is this close to Dumas. It is this close to Dumas, meaning there is no fact-checking. No one is asking questions like, hey, hold on a minute. I think you weren't that. Da, 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 da. You, you can say whatever you want. No one's going to check you, boo. That is my first issue. Okay, Dumois, explain. Mm. This was part of the voice note that I kept being like, I want to know what's in Candace's head. I mean, I always want to know what's in your head, but this part I was like, tell me more. It is no secret. I've talked about Dumois on several audio platforms. Dumois (laughs) is a celeb gossip Instagram account that is run by an anonymous person. Basically, what you do is you submit blind items to this person via Instagram or email. And it's usually something along the lines of like, I saw this funny A-lister sitting next next to this D-lister at Carbone, Anon Pliss, and then you as the viewer have to guess like, okay, who's the A-list funny person? I know Carbone, who's D-list, whatever. Mm-hmm. The thing about Dumois, Dumois is unfettered because said person who runs it is not a journalist. They literally post anything that you sent in, whether or not it happened, whether or not you got it wrong, they don't care. And in a very similar way, I feel like LinkedIn is also unfettered and unverified because like guys you can lie about your job history on linkedin and because of that uncheckability i just have a very hard time believing a single word any of these linkedin girlies say and by the way that is a literacy skill unto which i have gained because i was a victim who started believing dumois blind (laughs) items and then i said hey don't let this take you over my next issue is that i just feel like when I was in college, I used LinkedIn a lot because I was fact, I was like gathering, I was info gathering, like, okay, this person went to this school, they did this major, they did this this internship, they got here, I'm going to do that, whatever, whatever. And it's okay to use it as info gathering. In fact, I would maybe say it's a stocking tool. Okay, this is the part of the voice memo where my little ears perked up. Because I'm gonna be honest, Mm -hmm. I said I don't use LinkedIn. That was a lie. (laughs) I do use LinkedIn. (laughs) I use it to search up men that I meet on dating apps or my friends meet on dating apps to see if they're lying about their jobs, which I'm realizing actually maybe isn't that great of a verification tool. Because as you're saying, people could just lie. Yeah, people could just lie. But you're just being a good friend. So congrats to you, CIA agent trainee. (laughs) So here's the thing. I do remember being very obsessed with LinkedIn in college because like I went to journalism school and I just remember the first day I arrived. The thing that they always tell you is like, you're probably not going to get a job within the first six months of graduating. Just like prepare for that. And I was like, okay, so I just got here off the plane at LAX with the dream of my cardigan. And (laughs) I decided to take those words and I said, try me, bitch. And so... (laughs) 
I became obsessed with doing whatever ground gathering I needed to do to like guarantee my future. I just refused to be another unemployed statistic. However, if you are going to use said stalking tool as a platform unto which to brag about all the things you've done, I just find it to be wrong place. Like it may be the right message, wrong place. And also in college, when I would go on LinkedIn, I would go on there and I would just feel bad at myself. So bad about myself because they got the internship I wanted. They're doing this at their age and I'm not there yet. And I just feel like LinkedIn is a comparison tool that consistently steals joy. There is no reason to go on it. I do think it is toxic. Okay. A lot was said here. Mm -hmm. Not only is LinkedIn a stalking tool, it's a comparison tool. And candidly, I agree with you on both. I wanted to dive deeper into this because the thing about LinkedIn is that theoretically, it's the place to brag about your career accomplishments, right? Right. And if you can't brag there, where can you brag? You know? I wanted to pose that question to you. And also, do you feel like the toxicity you're talking about comes from the bragging or from the fact that, you know, when you are looking for a job, LinkedIn feels like a place you need to spend a lot of time on? Because like we said, the last time we really spent a lot of time on there was when we were unemployed college students. Yeah, this is tough and a very fair question because you're right. Like, where else am I supposed to give my hashtag some personal news except for LinkedIn? And I wanted to ask you this, Rachel, which is... Was there a point when you stopped being jealous of someone else's career? Like, do you remember having a moment where someone like posted on LinkedIn or Twitter being like, hey, personal news. And instead of being like, wow, you, you were like, (laughs) hey, that's awesome. Congrats. Move on. Oh, that's a good question. Um... I mean, honestly, I would say I don't think there's really a point at which that envy fully goes away. But Mm -hmm. I do think that as I've gotten further along in my career, I've learned that there is no perfect job. And that mostly comes from having friends in the industry and looking at them and knowing them and knowing the insides of their jobs. It's just like the envy kind of goes away because you recognize the, the downsides that come along with it. And you're like, well, I'd like more money and to do less work. And that's about it. Yeah, exactly. And I would say that I dealt with this like very deep green type of jealousy for my entire college career, even a little bit past graduation, because it didn't matter if I even like applied or even wanted the job that the person got. I was just so unhappy with where I was that I could not be happy for someone else. And I literally remember being in college and being mad that this random business school guy got an internship at JP Morgan and I was for some reason mad. I'm not in business school. I don't want to work at JP Morgan. Why am I so jealous of someone (laughs) who like congrats to him? I just couldn't separate myself from someone being successful. That was not me. And I just think that if I had put down the LinkedIn, I would have just had cleaner waters because that obsession, it really drove me to like literally look up people that I can't even remember now. Not a single name, job title, nothing. It was just energy that I wish I had spent doing like other college things like sleeping or eating nachos or like making friends in real life with people who actually were interested in me as a person and not a LinkedIn connection, you know? Definitely. Um, Now we're going to play my favorite part of this voice memo. Oh, wow. On top of that, my whole thing about hustle grind culture is that if you are self-assured, if you like yourself, 
And if you are successful in the way that you deem and define success, why the hell are you posting about it on LinkedIn? Do you not have a dog unto which to spend time with? Do you not have people in your life unto which to spread that wellness and success and just every time I hear this cutoff it's better than the last like it's it's <laughs> low-key giving Alexis Nears calling Nancy Joe sales like it's just perfect did you cut yourself off or did you just get timed out <laughs> <laughs> um so I I was indeed cut off by the inbox mm-hmm. and that is when I was like oh I I should submit myself to LinkedIn lunatics because I am one of them now Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, before you do that, we're going to play the second mm-hmm. placement that you sent after you were cut off. I guess my last thoughts on it are that I just think that LinkedIn is not a social media platform. Therefore, I don't think a rational person should be using it to post. All right. So I have some final few thoughts to kind of wrap up this episode and, you know, wrap up your voice most saga first. I get what you mean, though technically LinkedIn is a social media network. It doesn't feel like one, right? Which leads me to ask, is this your Roman Empire? (laughs) My true Roman Empire is the relationship between Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens. I think about it every moon. But professionally, yes, this may be my Roman Empire. Fascinating choice. Another fascinating thing you said that I really kind of want to end on, which is that LinkedIn is not a social network. It's not a social media network. And I was listening to this voice note over and over and over again on repeat. And I was thinking, she's right. But why is she right? Why does this feel so true? And I feel like it's because in many ways, LinkedIn is kind of the logical instep of where social media is going. It's Mm. not the way it was promised to us. Theoretically, social media is there to connect us, or that's what Zuckerberg told us. But as so many people have noted besides me, social media at this point is just like one giant ad for something. It's an ad for a company, or an ad for a product, or an ad for a specific makeup technique, or an ad for a person's lifestyle. LinkedIn just basically strips away the pretense of authenticity that it's not an ad, that other social media platforms require. Like, on LinkedIn, everything is in service of the capital T, capital B, the brand. You're never actually going to post anything negative on LinkedIn. It's going to be negative in a way that you say in a job interview that, like, your biggest weakness is being your perfectionist. Like, Mm -hmm. it's negative, but it's actually secretly positive, which means there's no real joy on LinkedIn. Like, there's funny stuff. Obviously, we've read some funny stuff, but it's usually not meant to be funny. There's, you know, a little, oh, yay, I'm glad my friend went to a cool conference and had a great time. But none of it is really joyful in the kind of unexpected way that Twitter could be before it became X or the way that like a really off the wall TikTok can be or the way that Tumblr still is. Like it's just all marketable content. And that's not a social media network or it wasn't. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so definitely subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYM underscore pod, which I just realized you can't actually DM us that anymore because Elon Musk hates us. But you can email us your questions at ICYMI at Slate.com.
ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and me, Candace Lim. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online. Or on LinkedIn. Hmm. Why didn't I use Candace's voicemail in our TBD episode? Well, partly because she split her message up into two voicemails, and I was too lazy to splice them together. But mostly because she spoke truth to power, and I was worried that the Sigma grind set people would track me down and bombard me with messages about how I wasn't grinding enough to be successful. All right, bye-bye.